Hello, I'm Watch Commander Sarah Hall. Welcome to the Women in the Fire Service podcast, the show for those who champion equality and diversity in fire. Did you know only 7% of all firefighters in England are women, or that less than 5% are from an ethnic minority? In this podcast series, we give advice to people from all genders considering careers in the fire service. Volunteer hosts like myself, firefighters and other fire experts talk about our experiences and answer all your burning questions. Want to learn what the Fire and Rescue Service actually does? That's what we'll explore in this episode. We'll reveal some fire history and take a look at the roles and values of the people who make up a modern fire service. Be inspired. Be a future firefighter. So I'll introduce us. Um, I'm Jan Morris. I'm from Shropshire Fire and Rescue Service. I've been around quite a long time. Um, and um, I can actually say I joined the Fire and Rescue Service last century. So I, I'm quite old. Um, and it, it's nice to see a lot of younger people wanting to be our future as well. So that's really, really good. And I've been um, part of Women in the Fire Service for probably 22 years so um, this is the first time we've actually done a, a series of events like this so um, my colleague um, who has stepped in right at the last minute has um, uh, very kindly uh, to help out is Sarah and she's from Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service which is actually borders on Shropshire anyway so um, we're fire service neighbours so welcome to this evening I hope you enjoy it I hope it answers some questions for you the idea is to um, give you an idea of what the Fire and Rescue Service does, which might sound a bit strange, but we'll see how that goes. And um, like I say, feel free to stick any questions in the in the chat bar. Fabulous. Right. So um, it's the Future Firefighter Programme, and it's a series of six events which tells you about different aspects of the Fire and Rescue Service. I think you're all people that are looking to join, potentially join the Fire and Rescue Service as um, perhaps firefighters, perhaps other opportunities within the service as well. So without any further ado, I will crack on. There is a reason why we do what we do. And we're basically governed by um, legislation. That's why we're here ultimately. We do stuff called pre prevention. And I'll talk to you about what we do and why we do it. Um, we do something called protection. And again, I'll tell you what we do and why we do it. The response is the exciting bit, but actually only quite a small part of what we do. And then uh, I'll talk a bit about people as well um, and why people are so important. Hopefully it, it won't be a long presentation because I'd much rather have a bit of interaction and a bit of Q&A at the end and you can ask any questions that you want to. So legislation, well... There's a number of different legislations which cover what we do. Fire and Rescue Services Act, the Policing and Crime Act, and you might think, what's police and crime got to do with, with fire? Civil contingencies, health and safety at work, regulatory reform, the Equalities Act, and um, specifically the Public Sector Equality Duty, which um, is part of the Equality Act. So before the war, before the Second World War, we were a national fire service. 
um, it didn't look like it does now. Once the Second World War finished, the National Fire Service was taken over by local county councils. Bit of a history lesson for you here. And the the first Fire and Fire Services Act came into effect in 1947, and that actually resulted in 148 different fire brigades. And they were called brigades then, which is um, most services now are called fire and rescue services, not fire brigades. Government reorganisation in um, 1974 and in 1986 meant that many services amalgamated into around a third of that number, which results in approximately the number of services you've got today, which is around 45 across the country. And in 2004, Fire and Rescue became Fire and Rescue and they updated the Act and that basically governs what we do today. So the Act actually tells us we've got four main responsibilities and one of those is, as you can imagine, to extinguish fires. Number two is to protect life and property in the event of fires. Um, number three is rescuing and protecting people in the event of a road traffic collision. And number four is rescuing and protecting people in the event of other emergencies. And we will go through some of those things as the presentation progresses. We also have to collect risk information. We also have to protect the health and safety of our workers. We also have to uh, do the prevention and protection that I mentioned in the first um, slide. We have to make sure we got the right resource in place to respond. We have to work in partnership and we have to be accountable to our communities. So we have to tell our communities, um, it, we, we basically do a four year plan, which is public. And we have to tell the public why we do what we do. And then we have to tell them whether we've done it or not, essentially. So the Policing and Crime Act, that's quite a simple one really, that just says we have to work together with police, fire and ambulance, and it also says that a PCC can have responsibility for fire. Just a bit of background, I wouldn't worry too much about that. The Civil Contingencies Act, uh, it actually, it we're what we call a category one responder, which is where we do all the response with police, ambulance, local authorities, etc. Any major incidents um, that you might see on telly, they will be covered by the Civil Contingencies Act. Health and Safety at Work Act, I'm sure that's something you're all very familiar with. Regulatory Reform Order, that is about fire protection and um, I'm sure you all remember Grenfell and a lot of the fallout from that was around fire protection of buildings. Let's um, try to put it in a bit of context for, context for you. The Equality Act protects people from discrimination and um, the public sector equality duty actually ensures that we make sure that the community can access our services. So a really, really important part of legislation. The next one is fire prevention. So this is where we start doing what I think, I think last week, didn't you, you had... Um, Bex talk about the, um, the day of a firefighter, basically. Well, prevention is some of the work that firefighters do, but we also have other staff that do prevention work as a, as a main role. So if you think about prevention, well, what is prevention? So if you think about a medical situation, like how, how would you try and um, prevent type 2 diabetes? How would you try and prevent yourself from catching COVID, for example? So Prevention's about all about what we can put in place to stop fires and other accidents happening to people 
at home and in the workplace. Um, and we'll, we'll go into schools and talk about fire safety and what not to do. And most of you would have heard of stop, drop and roll, get out, stay out, get the fire brigade out, all those sort of things. That, that's sort of the prevention activities that we start doing really early on where we can. We also collect a lot of statistics on the types of fires that we attend and the types of incidents we attend. So we then know who needs our help and who we need to go and talk about and focus our education resources on. Quite a lot of what we do is about understanding what our, what our communities need from us. It's very much um, not just about responding and putting out fires anymore. Fire protection, also known as the dark art of fire, very much a business fire safety element to that. And you need to have quite a few qualifications in order to carry out effective fire protection. It's mainly around businesses. I've listed on there some of the people that actually need to take heed of fire safety, the reform order, the RRO, um, and that's any employer or anybody who's self-employed and has a business premise. It's any landlord, any business, any, um, we call them HMO, but houses of multiple occupation, any charity, any voluntary organisation who has staff, contractors who have control over a premises, educational buildings, nurseries, care homes, doctors, dentists, hotels, B&B, holiday homes, and anything residential that has communal areas. So pretty comprehensive, and that means pretty much most businesses have to take heed of the fire safety legislation, what we call the enforcing authority. So that means we go around and we make sure that people are compliant and if they're not then we can prosecute them so it, it's a technical job it is a job that a firefighter a lot of protection officers are firefighters that have decided to focus on that area of business um, it's a specialist role it's also a really interesting role and it's it, it's very rewarding they also look at building regulations licensing and um, they will be part of inspection teams of higher risk uh, properties. This is response. So this is probably the bit of the fire service that everybody knows about. It's probably the most fun part, um, everyone's favourite. I mean, everybody joins the fire service to be firefighters. It is an amazing part of the job. It's only a very small part of the job, but it's the job that probably is all consuming in terms of training, development, keeping yourself competent, keeping yourself fit and healthy. So firstly, fire appliances. We call them appliances, not engines. Don't ask me why. There's various types of fire appliances. We've got the standard one that you might see driving along the street. We've got um, the ones with the big, big ladders on top. Um, we've got specialist vehicles that go off road, we've got dog units, boats, line rescue, foam and water carriers, lots lots of various different ones depending on what individual services actually need. You need a HGV license to drive a fire appliance and in order to drive under blue lights you also need another specialist qualification but those are provided as part of training. Um, not everybody does drive in but if you want to and there's a need for it, then you will be trained um, in order to do that. And I can say that it is, a very, it is a great part of the job. I loved it when I was a driver. The next one is fire control. Fire control operators are absolutely key to the success 
of response to a fire call. They take the initial 999 calls, they gather relevant information, they send the right amount of people and equipment, and they'll also sort of notify officers and other agencies to make sure that we can respond um, as effectively as needed. They also control movement of the engines around the county so that there's always uh, everywhere in the county is, county is always protected. So they do a really, really critical and crucial role for us. So the next, the next um, point is on-call staff. Now, um, on-call staff are, are actually quite an amazing group of people because they have day jobs for other places and they have to live and work within five minutes of an on-call fire station so that they can respond if there is an incident. They carry a pager, so basically they, they carry that with them every time that they're on, on duty um, and they're paid a retaining fee and then get paid for any incidents that they actually respond to. For an on-call firefighter, training commitment is one evening each week and any other training as and when it comes up that they're needed. A service like mine in Shropshire, we wouldn't be able to function without on-call staff. They're absolutely key to, to us being able to provide um, a good fire and rescue service. London and West Midlands don't have on-call firefighters. Uh, all of their staff are whole time. So, um, and what whole time means is basically firefighters who work full time for the fire service. Various different shift patterns, mainly they do the two nights, uh, the two days on duty, two nights on duty, followed by the four days off. So we call that the 224 shift. There are a few local differences in some services. Some services have day crewing only, um, which is just where the fire crews don't work nights, just days. Some have a mixture, but essentially whole time and on call are the main uh, response function. And then we have what we call support staff. And they're often, well, they're pretty much always unseen members of the team, but they actually keep the service functioning. And that would be your functions like HR, finance, IT, comms, analysts, administration, workshops, equipment technicians, and many more. So they're often behind the scenes, but actually without, the, without those people, then we wouldn't be able to get fire engines out the door. So specialist roles within the response mostly done by firefighters in addition to being to being um, firefighters and that includes things like rope rescue, um, swift water rescue, heavy vehicle, animal rescue, training instructors, fitness instructors and uh, and many other different things so and again you know if depending on what station you go on you get full training to be able to carry out those roles. Urban search and rescue known as USAR, specialist teams that respond to incidents which involve locating, extricating, stabilization of victims trapped in something uh, like a collapsed structure, following gas explosion, collapsed mine, or things like that. So they have very different training and equipment to station-based firefighters, and they also are more likely to be used to respond nationally to bigger events. And going on to national response. So most fire and rescue services have teams um, who have specialist equipment and they can respond to all different sorts of large scale incidents. So most of you would have seen things on the TV like flooding, wildfires, 
and, and they're so big that the local fire services can't actually cope. So they have to call in support from neighbouring services. So, you know, we're all part of that bigger response picture when needed. Fire investigation, again, a really interesting thing to do. Fire investigators are trained to examine scenes of fire to see if they can find out what caused it. If it's deliberate, then they can get involved in police prosecutions. And also as firefighters, you'd be asked to provide witness statements, especially where there may have been a fatality or a criminal act put together. So we train firefighters to actually take notice of what they're entering so that they can provide information of what they saw, because quite often they're going into a building as the first person. So what they see is really, really important. This is where you'll see the fire investigation dogs who are trained to sniff out anything which might have been used to start a fire deliberately. Hazardous materials, they're um, also known as hazmat officers, specialist officers who have a more detailed knowledge of things like chemicals and how they behave in a fire. So their knowledge helps to helps commanders to decide how uh, the firefighters in their team are gonna respond. So again, quite a critical knowledge. And then incident commanders, Every, time, every single fire appliance has an incident commander sat in the front seat and that'll be called an either a crew manager or a watch manager um, and they're trained to level one um, and that means they can respond to any smaller scale incident and take control and conclude it to um, satisfactorily. So really, really important part of the response element. As they progress through the organisation, they can take on more difficult instant command, more complex incidents. So you end up with a higher level, level of control. So if you progress as an officer, then you will learn a higher level of command. But again, it's, it's full training is given for these type of things. Incident types. Yeah, so um, we call them shouts. And um, I'll read out to you why we call them shouts. It won't be a pass or fail in any interview, but I thought you might be interested. So. Perhaps the most well-known term used within the service is a shout, which is used to describe the need for a fire appliance to respond to an incident. It comes from a time when horse-drawn fire appliances raced through our towns and cities en route to a fire. The crews of the engines would shout to clear the way through the bustling and often narrow streets. The cry was, got me to do it, Hiya, hiya, hi, but a lot louder, obviously. And it is with some pride that the, the fire service can honestly say they were the first to use the term shout. And nowadays, most other emergency services use it. I quite enjoyed reading that. Moving swiftly on. Yes, we do res rescue cats from trees, very much so. Animal rescues, cows in ditches, fallen horses, cats and dogs stuck stuck in strange places, birds trapped in strange places, property fires, houses, shops, factories, hotels, waste recycling plants, they can be quite long and big, um, restaurants, offices, caravans, cars, bins and rubbish. We used to have, cars used to be a lot of our shouts, but um, now that cars are more difficult to steal, we don't get as many, quite frankly. So we do get quite a lot of low level rubbish fires, and it's one of the reasons we try and do some education because a lot of the low level fires can be started maliciously by children and young people. Major incidents. So that's basically any large scale event or something that is likely to last over several days. 
and have a big impact on communities um, and things like that you would have seen on telly wide scale flooding large scale wildfires a plane or train crash uh, luckily we don't get those very often a fire at a large commercial building anything that takes up a lot of resources really for fire so line rescue occasionally we use that to rescue animals um, but mostly people who have got stuck or become injured while in a precarious area. That would include um, obviously walkers working it, walking in certain areas, but also work people from cranes or other high structures. Water rescue and flooding. So in Shropshire, in Gloucestershire, certain areas around the country, we know we're going to get flooding probably at least once a year, if not twice. So we do a lot of planning to try and mitigate it when it does happen. And firefighters will get involved in um, searching for stranded people, removing them to places of safety. They'll also get involved with things like distributing sandbags to support the community uh, response. So road, tra road traffic collisions, cutting people out who are trapped in cars. Uh, we provide medical intervention. Uh, we'll put out fires, stabilize them if they're on their roof or something like that. And the fire appliances carry specialist cutting and stabilizing equipment, as well as medical kit. And most firefighters are trained in quite a high level of trauma care. So um, if, we, if we turn up at an incident and somebody needs medical intervention, we can do it to quite a, a good level. Heavy goods vehicles. Most services have specialist equipment if lorries and big vehicles like that are involved in a, in a road traffic collision. But we also respond to smaller things like fires in brakes and, and sort of cargo as well in lorries. So automatic fire alarms. A lot of services don't respond to calls of fire alarms going off anymore unless there's someone there who can confirm there is an actual fire. But in things like care homes, hospitals, um, especially if outside of normal working hours, um, most services will always respond because there's a life risk. And one of our key things is to to save life obviously. Wildfires just like flooding wildfires have become a pretty regular occurrence in a lot of areas where there's been a lot of hot dry weather fires can get out of control quite easily in places where there are you know large moorland areas. These fires do tend to present quite a worry to rural communities um, as well as having a huge impact on local wildlife and grazing. So a lot of the prevention work we do now includes raising awareness of um, how easy it is to start a wildfire just by discarding a cigarette or having a barbecue. And also if you get a wide scale wildfire, it can have a massive impact on the resources of the, of the fire service as well. So rail and aircraft incidents, again, luckily extremely rare, but we do train for it because they are a possibility. You will normally get a huge response from all manner of emergency responders and as well as responders who have specialist knowledge and that could be things like network network rail or the aviation authority and things like that okay so people people are really important to us in the fire and rescue service values and behaviors we really want to recruit and retain people with the right values and behaviors because although there are technical elements to the role um, obviously there's a lot of technical elements to the role a huge part involves interaction with people so whether it's um our 
we call them partners, but other agencies that we work closely with, our colleagues, members of the community. We're often interacting with them at times when they're under a lot of pressure and under a lot of stress. So, um, you know, we've got communities where English is a second language, got people with um, mental health and substance abuse issues, and they need empathy, um, they need support, and the professionalism that we show them at all times is, is really, really important. Training and development. So initial training for whole-time firefighters is usually at least eight weeks. It did used to be a lot longer, but it's, it's now on average around about eight weeks. It involves a lot of practical and technical training. If you're an on-call member of staff, you'll get the same training, but it'll be modular. So you'll do it over a much longer period of time, but that's so it can fit in with your daytime employment. But once you've done that initial training, the learning doesn't stop. There's a two-year probationary period and you will be constantly learning. Um, you'll probably have a mentor, somebody who can teach you some of the more practical elements of the job. You can stay as a firefighter or you can decide to go for promotion. Most services are starting to provide a leadership development pathway. So it'd be quite clear if you want to progress what it is you need to do. Nationally, we are also starting some programmes to support people joining the fire and rescue service at different levels. So recruitment. So we want more people like you in the service. Our communities are diverse. Historically, our workforce hasn't been. So in order to be the very best we can, we um, recognize the value of being diverse. So people from different backgrounds, people with different experiences, people with different skills. Together, they give us um, excellence. And as part of the Equality Act, we try to inform and support people who are underrepresented in our workforce to encourage them to apply for a job. It's called positive action. It doesn't guarantee you a job, but it does give you the opportunity to do things like this and find out more about a career where, which you might not have thought of before, especially careers as firefighters, which have been traditionally seen to be quite a male dominated role. So progression, getting through recruitment is a challenge. We have so many applicants for firefighter roles, so many applicants. We, we quite often get sort of like a thousand applicants for 20 jobs. Uh, so, you know, anybody who gets through is really, really done well. Once you're in the service, there are loads of opportunities to progress or to go into a specialist role. So it, it's actually a really good career to get into. And I know uh, there's, there's workshops the next few workshops, some of them will cover more opportunities about different roles within the service and what, what they entail. And retention. Once we've spent all that money training you, we want to keep you. Um, and that's another reason why values and behaviours are so important, because we want you to feel valued. We want people to, people to feel respected and have the confidence to know that they're making a difference to the communities. If you're unhappy, we want to know why, because we want to make things better. So most services have staff support networks where you can get a lot of support. The final point is um, equality, diversity and inclusion, EDI. So basically this underpins all of the above. We want people in our service who can create an environment where you can bring your whole selves to work. There is no such thing as a typical firefighter anymore. And we want to break down that stereotype. So yeah, be our future. If that's you, then um, come and join us.
there's a message here. How do you deal with the trauma if you come across hard situations during the shift? Like if your rescue attempt wasn't successful or a road accident when you have attended at a suicide incident. Well, I will talk very briefly and then I'll hand over to Jan. And also we have got Amy Beams here, who is one of our other WFS presenters. From my point of view, at an incident, you've always got a role to do. You are there for a specific reason and you are tasked with doing something. And that's the thing that sort of gives you real focus. Like I'm really squeamish when it comes to my blood, my son's blood or any of my family's sort of like, I don't know, it, it's very different. As soon as I put on that uniform and I know that I'm part of a team and I really have a, I have a task to complete, that's what kind of gets you through. And afterwards it can be very upsetting, but um, we have lots of support teams. That is something that fire services are really very serious about nowadays. So there's never a reason to go home and feel like I feel upset about that and I've got no one to talk to. We have all sorts of support mechanisms. Jan, Amy, you got anything to add to that? Okay. Um, for me, I think when the fire service attend anything, you're attending because someone else is having a really bad day. So kind of no matter what you do in that situation, you are always making it better. So you kind of really take that home. And for me, that's really, really important. So if you go to an incident and you haven't been able to save somebody's life, but you've been able to be there and help them with dignity, then that's what I take away from it. So and as Sarah said, there's, there are so many services. So our service in Hampshire and Isle of Wight have um, really good mental health first aiders. We have a triage system from our controls so that at, at the end of an incident, they will then message everybody at that incident with an offer of sort of immediate someone to talk to. An officer will come out and talk to you. You go back to the station, you sit around the table, you have your cup of tea. We do indulge in a little bit of dark humour. Sometimes you need to, to uh, like release a bit of stress. But ultimately, it's, it's about finding somebody to talk to. And for me, it's knowing that I've made a difference or I've been able to make a difference. And if it wasn't to that person in particular, it might be to a family member with them. It might be to a neighbour. So you've always felt like you have done something positive. Somebody's asked, wants to get into the fire investigation team, Fire investigation, you start, we all start off with firefighters currently, uh, and then we work our way up, and then um, different opportunities will sort of present themselves. Usually, as you go through your career, as you start going through the roles, uh, not always, some people go from firefighter into whatever discipline they want, but generally, as you start going up through <coughs> commander, watch commander, that's when different options tend to open up. But if you've got any other questions about that, Sorry, is it okay if I go back to Jules's question? She's got, she's asking for one piece of advice. Uh, sorry, I'm assuming Jules um, is a uh, female. I'm applying at the end of this month. If you could give me one piece of advice, what would it be? Mine would be, if you don't don't get through this time, try again, because it's not that easy. There are, there are hundreds of people going for every role. And if you don't get through this time, it might be nothing to do with your ability or your suitability. It might just be, you've got to, you just got to grit your teeth and go again. That's my advice. Oh, the heady heights of watch manager. How have I got to the heady heights of watch manager? Well, I was on call for a year in Hereford and Worcester while I was applying for whole-time positions. That's a long, 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 long time ago. Then I got into West Mids as a whole-time firefighter. Then I went through firefighter, crew commander. I went into an office for a year to do positive action. I came out. I was on station for four or five years as a crew commander. And then I passed a process to be a watch manager at Hereford and Worcester. So that's why I transferred. So that was my, my uh, route. Jan? Oh, my route was, so I joined as a firefighter, like I said, quite a long time ago. 
when I joined, there was hardly any other women in the service. So it was, um, and it was a bit of a culture shock to me actually, because I kind of expected there to be more. But um, yeah, so I did firefighter for about five years. Then I was um, a crew manager, an operational crew manager. So on a fire engine. And then I went into something called the arson task force, which was a prevention, one of our prevention things we did to try and um, reduce arson in the community. And then I joined, I was a training instructor as a watch manager. It, it was called a sub-officer back then. I'm really sounding old now, aren't I? And I was a training instructor for a couple of years. And then I went back out on station as a watch manager. Um, I did that for three years. And I that was probably my favourite role, I would say. And then I just carried on station manager, group manager. And now I'm area manager. So um that's why I get to talk about all the things like legislation and bore everybody stupid but it's been I've had the opportunity to do so many things and I've done some really interesting jobs and I've absolutely loved it and I've chosen the path of promotion and you know every single thing I've done I've really enjoyed and I would say I've never woken up not wanting to go to work and I don't think there's many people that can say that it really is a fantastic the opportunities are amazing i love going to work and um, i feel very lucky to have one of those career paths actually i really thoroughly enjoy and i'll talk to anyone about how amazing it is to work for fire service um i joined as an on-call firefighter about 17 years ago uh and then i did quite a lot of youth work so we had a lot of youth projects i worked through um i also worked as a community safety advisor and as a liaison officer between police and council and the fire service uh, I then went whole time and um, doing the same sort of community safety part of that. Uh, I then had a couple of kids and came off the run and uh, had a family and then went back on the run about four years after that. And I've been back operationally as a firefighter and then as a crew manager. Um, and I'm now doing some project work uh, around implementing national guidance and documents and this I mean the thing is it's just so varied there are so many things that you can do with a career in fire service it is not a one-stop shop it, you know it's almost anything that you can think of whether you really enjoy being out on the fire ground whether you enjoy putting those practices and procedures in place whether you enjoy training people the investigation side afterwards whether it's welfare control there are so many things that we do that actually to kind of get your foot in the door and then go right what do i want to do how does my career want to develop and think and a lot of things still come from that process of being firefighter being a crew manager and then going up through through those roles and then as as sarah said everything kind of opens up a little bit and you can start to do sideways moves into other departments but i love it and i would thoroughly recommend it as a career and i mean there's nothing wrong with being a career firefighter you know don't feel that promotion is something that everybody should aspire to it's not for everyone and being a a competent firefighter is absolutely one of the best jobs you can possibly have so it's not as if um we're, we're sort of saying you have to go for promotion some people they get to their first watch and they stay there their entire careers uh it, it, it depends on your personality it depends on um it, that would drive me mad but <laughs> we're not we're not all built the same some people like to know where they're going to sit uh, it, you know, for the next 20 years or, you know, which cup they're going to use. And, and some people really love that and they're great firefighters and they're real assets to their services. So, yeah, it, 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 there's, there's all sorts of different paths. If I go on to another question, what advice would you give me to pass the situational awareness test? Oh, now that's a really tough one. 
there's a website, isn't there? Um, fire service entry tests or something, and it gives you the opportunity to practice some of the um, uh, some of those type of um, initial tests. I think that's that's about as good advice because it's a you know it's a bit of a dark art, and uh, <laughs> I, I would hate to give some advice that wasn't uh, the the current uh, thinking. But so yeah, that's what I would say. Uh, sorry, I missed one out above that, which is: Do all fire services have some entry tests, or are they all different? Maths and English. They're supposed to be standardised, but I would say there is elements of difference in individual uh, services as a standard maths and English, GCSE maths and English uh, grade C. Is it possible, this is a very quick answer, is it possible to transfer from service to service? Yes, it is. Blah, 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 blah. What sort of things look good on application forms? That's a really, really good question. That will be covered next week as well, I think. Yeah, so we won't spoil it. <laughs> yeah, in a lot more detail. Oh, this is a good one. What was your best ever day while you were serving? Please share stories. Oh, best ever day. I can think of a lot of not so good days. Water training, when you have a day water training or something like that, it's just really good fun and you're doing something that is really good fun i mean i did some of the rtc competitions and some of the national competitions and so you get to go to like a national event you get to put up cars in front of a crowd that clap you if you get it right <laughs> and that was that was just great so the um yeah those are some of my best uh, police incidents um towing a police car out of a ditch <laughs> for a really embarrassed looking police officer and uh oh watching well, no i won't tell that story actually yeah so those are my stories what about you uh jan and amy i think that a day what would be a really good day um for me it's it's about that watch culture it's about going in and being and around people that you really enjoy working with um we tend to do fitness first thing in the morning and that's always quite a giggle so you can either do circuits or competitions a few shouts during the day it's always nice to be busy I quite, I, I'm like a little fidget. I don't particularly like sitting still at work. It, it's just, I think it's the variety. It's very hard to describe a best day because the best day is today could be completely different from my best day last week and from last year because everything is always so different and everything changes and moves. And I think it's that ability and that freedom to do so many different things in your daily role. So you might be out in the community uh, talking to people about fire safety in the home, you might be fitting smoke alarms, you might be at a community event. Uh, you might turn up to an RTC and have to cut somebody out of a car. You might end up on a shout where you've got to wear BA and you're going in to rescue people or you're going in to stop something escalating. And it's that variety for me that makes a really, really good day. Yeah, I think some of my favourite, when I, when I was a firefighter, I, was a, um, I used to do the vertical line rescue. So um, we used to go off cliffs and things like that to sort of perform rescues and and um, whether we were training or actually doing um, because I started my career in Avon so we had the Avon Gorge a lot of climbers um, and also we had some of the sort of like cliffs down on some of the coasts so um, I've rescued a few people and I've rescued a few dogs and, and I guess the line rescue part of it for me was uh, I really enjoyed that aspect of it so um, and the training on a nice day where we go up on the downs in Bristol and get an ice cream and spend the day dangling off cliffs on, on ropes. Brilliant. You know, what other job could you get to do that? So, um, 
yeah it's but yeah there's a lot of probably a lot of a, a lot of the um you know where you've gone to a job whatever it might be and you've made somebody's life better you've either saved their life you've saved their property um you know it's a really good feeling you know you really feel like you've made a difference and i don't think um you know we can't underestimate how how great that feels Okay, right, so I've uh, got a unusual question here. Have we seen a significant increase um, in floods and wildfires? Well, Hereford and Worcester has definitely seen more than their fair share of floods in the last uh, three, four, five years. Uh, so yes, West Mids, not so much of the, the flooding and the uh, wildfires, but uh, definitely now I'm in a, um, a semi-rural brigade and we're seeing it. Yeah, and I would say, do, do we feel there's a climate emergency? Um, uh, yes, there's been an increase. I don't think any of us can deny that. In our personal lives, we might get involved in, in a bit more of, um, you know, campaigning for these things. But actually, in our professional life, um, we have to respond. And um, at my level, you have to do the preparation for the response uh, to make sure the damage is, is as little as possible and to make sure that you keep a churn of firefighters coming in and uh, doing all the hard work, let's say. But yes, there has been an increase. Um, we work closely with the Environment Agency as well. So, um, and obviously that's a lot of work done at a national level. But it, uh, you know, those sort of incidents have a huge impact on the service because they can go on for days and days and days. Um, I've had a question here about GCSEs. Now that will be covered more, is it next week, applications? If they do stipulate that you need GCSE maths, it's probably as well to try and do a, I did a functional maths rather than a GCSE. So, but that's individual services. And I think that will be covered next week. Do you have to deal with many angry, perhaps worried, scared members of the public? Yes, we do. If you think about it, we're coming into contact with the most vulnerable and the, the people who are most likely to come into contact with the fire service, uh, they potentially have substance misuse, uh, alcohol misuse, or they might have mental health issues. They are people who are more likely to come into contact with the fire service than the general population. So yeah, we come, we come across people with all sorts of issues and we have to be very, we have to have a, we, we have to tread a fine line because we're actually there to do, to keep people safe, to sort out a situation, but we've also got to be very mindful of the people that we're dealing with. And so sometimes we do actually have to be quite, um, hard with people but generally we try not to be but there are that time those times when people are putting themselves in uh risks way that we have to take on a slightly different role but it's not our job to be tackle people or <laughs> so yeah we have to try and be as mindful as we can be yeah we are there to protect people and and it is worth bearing in mind as well sometimes you know and going back to we're talking about the prevention work and, and we deal with a lot of people that are quite vulnerable in their life and sometimes you'll get a call from somebody saying there's a fire because they just want somebody to go round to see them so um, you know and then you have to manage that when you get there so you, when we're talking about the sort of like values and behaviors that are important to us uh, for people that are joining you know how you deal with people is really important and I guess that probably goes on to you know when we're talking about 
application interview and some of those things it's about we're trying to find out who you are as a person and how you feel about things and how you deal with things and it can be tough because you are seeing people on the worst day of their lives a lot of the time you know you could potentially be at a fire or an rtc and people's relatives start turning up and that's a very difficult balance to sort of maintain people's dignity to sort of but also understand that this is the worst thing that's probably ever happened to them. So, yeah, it, it can be a, an interesting, but like Jan said earlier, if you can walk away and hope, helpfully, hopefully that you have made that experience, no matter how terrible it is, that little bit better because of how you've treated them. That's a really great feeling when you go home, that actually you've helped them at that really terrible point in their life. And that's time, I think, isn't it, Jan? If nobody's got any questions, then, um, well, no, thank you for all, um, you know, thank you for coming in. And, and Jan, like I said in the chat, this is totally normal for you have to wing it in the fire service. This is totally normal. There are, <laughs> this, Improvisation. <laughs> it, it, it's basically what we do. No matter what role you've got, you, there are times where you're just like, right, okay, just got to make the best of things. And so that that is life in the fire service. So if you can think on your feet, you're halfway there. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you for all the thanks, everybody. All right. I better go and wrestle my 10 year old because he's taking full advantage of, of not being uh, uh, observed at 10 past eight on a school night. So I better go and find out what he's doing. But thank you, everybody else. That was um, thanks for coming tonight. <laughs> nice to see you all. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Women in the Fire Service podcast. We hope you enjoyed learning about the many varied roles that make up our job and why the fire service needs more people like you to represent them. In the next episode, we talk about application and interview techniques to give you the very best chance of achieving your dream role. For regular news from Women in the Fire Service straight to your inbox, subscribe at wfs.org.uk. And remember, there's no such thing as a typical firefighter. <laughs>